0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3.
1: Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across America. The phone number, 877-973-7425. As always, you are welcome to text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. If you want to follow the show, the show notes, the podcast, and the like, uh, real quick, uh, we, I have been doing a lot of experimentation, a lot, been doing a lot of cooking. We're resuming the recipes. They haven't been out in a while, in large part, because when I got behind it, too, I just, I keep making the same stuff. So I've had to venture out and try new things. And so I made this focaccia recipe as a muffin and topped it with like pizza sauce and ricotta and prosciutto. It's pretty incredible. And sea salt. We're getting that out this week, so you can text recipe singular recipe to three three seven seven seven. Subscribe to the recipes. Um, the word, but you got to text the word recipe singular, uh, no s on the end to three three seven seven seven. You can subscribe, no cost. We send the recipes out now. I gotta talk to you about the story. I wanted to get to it yesterday, but we had so much stuff. Florida State University has fired Eric Stewart. He's a professor of criminology. You probably don't know Eric Stewart's name, but you are absolutely familiar with his work because it is Eric Stewart's research that has given rise to the idea that the nation is systemically racist. It is Eric Stewart who advanced that idea with his research. This is from Inside Higher Ed, not a conservative publication. Eric Stewart, a professor of criminology, has been fired by Florida State University for extreme negligence in research. The charges against Stewart followed a full investigation into his research. A letter to Stewart from James Clark, the provost, said, You demonstrated extreme negligence in basic data management, resulting in an unprecedented number of articles retracted, numerous other articles now in question, and the presence of no backup of the data for the publications in question. Justin Pinkney, an associate professor of criminal justice at the University of Albany of the State University of New York, said Stewart allegedly made racism seem more common than it is through his data and surveys that altered sample sizes in five co-authored research papers where he was responsible for data and analysis. Repeated attempts to reach Stewart for comment were unsuccessful. But he denied any fraud and instead said the problems resulted from analysis errors that included coding mistakes and transcription errors, according to withdrawal letters he wrote to the journals that published the studies. In a response to the intent to terminate letter in March, Stewart stated that the investigation and process to terminate him were arbitrary, capricious, and discriminatory in nature. Now, there's more. This is from the New York Post. The academic was fired after almost 20 years of his data, including figures used in an explosive study which claimed the legacy of lynchings made whites perceive blacks as criminals and that the problem was worse among conservatives was found to be in question. You think – College authorities said he was fired for incompetence and false results. Among the studies he has had to retract were claims that whites wanted longer sentences for blacks and Latinos. To date, six of Stewart's articles published in major academic journals like Criminology and Law and Society Review between 2003 and 2019 have been fully retracted after allegations the professor's data was fake or badly flawed. The professor's termination came four years after former graduate student. Justin Pickett blew the whistle on his research. Pickett said they worked together in 2011 researching whether the public was demanding longer prison sentences for black and Hispanic criminals as those minority populations grew, with the paper claiming they did. But Stewart had fiddled the sample size to deliver the result when the real research did not, Pickett said. When the investigation into Stewart began in 2020, he claimed he was the victim and that Pickett, quote, essentially lynched me and my academic character. After 16 years as a professor of criminology at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Provost James Clark notified Stewart of his termination July 13th. The retracted studies looked into contentious social issues like whether the public perceived blacks and Latino people as threats and the role of racial discrimination in America's justice system. One 2019 study, which had to be retracted, suggested historical lynchings make white people today perceive black people as threats. Stewart floated the idea that this effect will be greater among whites, where socioeconomic disadvantage and political conservatism are greater. Another retracted 2018 study suggested that white Americans view black and Latino people as criminal threats and suggested that perceived threat could lead to state-sponsored social control. In a third retracted study, Stewart claimed Americans wanted tougher sentences for Latinos because their community was increasing in number and becoming more economically successful. Latino population growth and perceived Latino criminal and economic threats significantly predict punitive Latino sentiment, he concluded in the retracted study. His research delved into the relationship between incarceration and divorce, street violence, the impact of tough neighborhoods on adolescents, whether street gardens reduce crime, and how race impacts student discipline in schools. The disgraced professor rose to prominence as an influencer in his field despite his studies from as early as 2003 being retracted. He's a widely cited scholar north of 8,500 citations by other researchers. According to Google Scholar, a measure of his clout, he was vice president and fellow of the American Society of Criminology, honored him as one of four highly distinguished criminologists in 2017. He was the W.E.B. DuBois fellow of the National Institute of Justice. He received north of $3.5 million in grant support from major organizations and tax-funded entities, according to his resume. He presided over a National Institutes of Mental Health uh, research grant on how African-Americans transition into adulthood. He was the co-principal investigator. He made $190,000 a year annual salary at FSU. He served on the school's diversity promotion and tenure committees, giving him a say on who got hired on campus. He passed judgment on students accused of cheating and academic dishonesty themselves as a member of the Academic Honor Policy Hearing Committee. Oh, he graduated from Fort Valley State University near me. He got a Ph.D. from Iowa State University. Now, so much of the research you hear about race and crime in America derives from his work. That is now retracted. Uh Uh-huh. All those studies about how white people move to the other sidewalk when they see a black person come in. All those studies about how police disproportionately arrest black men when never mind per capita. They don't. All those studies have a lot to do with this guy. And he was making up data. He says it was transcription errors. That's a heck of a lot of transcription errors over multiple studies that had to be retracted. Essentially, if this guy believed there was a problem and it was related to race, he would find the data to show it. If he believed something, he found the data to show it. Y'all, you know, there's this weird idea now that, like, science must be subservient, to 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 what people want on the left. So like there's no scientific biological evidence about transgenderism being a real thing. But the hard sciences have been supplanted by the soft sciences of sociology and the like. And they use women in gender studies, professors in comfortable shoes, to come up with the data. To suggest that there is. The biologists can't find the data. The chemists, the physics physicists, they, they, they can't find the data. They don't see the data. But the sociologists somehow find it. The women and gender studies professors somehow find it. The criminology professor found the data to show him what he wanted. That white people are still deeply racist. That they have historic lingering racism in their bones. And it's polluted the thinking of so many people out there. Now here's what's actually going on here. We live in postmodern times. Postmodernism is tied to secular communist thought. It sounds provocative. I don't mean it to be. It's actually true. The, the, the guy, the, the French philosopher who came up with postmodernism was not only a communist, he was also a pedophile. That should tell you everything you need to know about his worldview. And in order to justify his worldview, his sexual predilections and deviancies, and his political views on communism, he believed there was no such thing as absolute truth, and he argued there was no such thing as absolute truth. What he argued is that truth is relative. Your truth, my truth, we all have our own truth. And that the world can best be understood by power dynamics, not by hard sciences. That it's all power dynamics. Everything in nature is about a power dynamic. And the way to master and obtain power is to change words and definitions of words and conversations about words. So postmodernists believe that to control people, you must control language because language is where you create reality. Reality is not what you and I see. That wall exists because someone spoke wall. Now, if that confuses you, think about it. An architect somewhere designed where a wall should be placed as a load-bearing wall. He made design decisions using words. So the words constructed the building. It wasn't that the building had to be a certain shape. It's that the words constructed the buildings. If someone desired the building to be such a way, they spoke it into being that way. Therefore, the word is power. The sky is blue because we assigned the word blue to that color, but there are people who are colorblind who cannot see that color. Therefore, you're not allowed to objectively say the sky is blue. Words create power. And this man, this professor, created a lot of words. And those words were designed to give him power. And those words were designed to give him power by showing that other people had power and the way they used it was bad, discrimination, systemic racism. And he wanted to subvert the dominant paradigm by using new words and silencing those who challenged him. And he produced research to show exactly what he wanted it to show. And when he was called out, what did he do? What did he do when he was called out for making up the research? He accused his accuser of a lynching, of racism, because his accuser was white. And now the man has lost his job. But the Ibram Kindies, and the Nicole Hannah Joneses and the CNNs and the MSNBCs of the world, the Mehdi Hassans, the Joy Reeds. They will continue to use the derivatives of his research to advance a narrative now discredited by made-up research that this nation is systemically racist. He gave voice to that, found argument for it, found research for it, and so much of it is discredited now. But you're not going to hear that on MSNBC. They're just going to take as fact systemic racism in this country. And when we say, whoa, 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 his research was discredited, they'll find someone else who based their research on his research and not tell you. Because they need you to believe that this nation is systemically racist and systemically bad and and systemically unjust. They need you to believe that to advance their agenda. They don't care that this guy was discredited. They'll find someone else who used the same research and claim it wasn't discredited. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the words. The words mean things. And if they can get you to believe the word systemic racism means something about this country— they can get you to fundamentally up in the power structures of this country in the name of fighting what they believe is systemic racism. I, I this is, this is not an ad here and, and I need you to understand it's not an ad. It's just, I, I, I want to brag a minute. So I have a security company called Owen Security and you know, we've had people show up at our house before to threaten us and, and do stuff. And so we, we hired Owen Security cause they have this virtual security guard where um, we, at certain times of, of the night, we can turn these, these cameras on, they're on all the time in the recording, but they actually like people pay attention and they use this, this AI algorithm. So if they detect, for example, a person as opposed to a deer in the backyard, well, uh, I got a bullhorn and, and suddenly you, you hear them yelling at me. Now they've done it to me before. They've done it to me where I came home late, forgot to turn the camera system off and suddenly I'm being yelled at by a lady uh, who is identifying me in my yard. One time I, I got inside uh, and I wasn't paying attention. I heard somebody talking, and I wasn't really paying attention. when inside, and the police surrounded the house. Well, in my neighborhood last night, uh, a bunch of people got their cars broken into in their driveway, and I did not in, in my yard have that happen because uh, we had people watching with these cameras, and when the people came towards our yard— um, they were being yelled at and clearly identified and it freaked them out and they ran off. Um, and so I just, it pays y'all to have a, these days to have a good security system. I just, this isn't an ad. I just, I love them. And last night I got my money's worth, um, that we had neighbors who had cars broken into, but not me. Cause, uh, the moment it was people and not deer walking into the yard, the, it triggered the cameras and the people on the other end yelling at them to get out of my yard, that the police were on their way. So yay. Oh, security. Um, so if you're living in Georgia, they they have just I'm telling you, Owens oh, Security. You ask them about the virtual security guard. That, that I, this isn't an ad. I'm just I really like real world scenario happened uh we had a number of people in the back of my neighborhood last night had their cars windows uh smashed now typically it's the guys who wear the have the don't tread on me and the bolon lob stickers on the back and people think oh this guy has a gun in his car more likely than not and they're going in looking for guns it used to be my drug lord neighbor whose kids were doing it for the mom i'm not kidding you i had drug lords who lived next to me we had no idea it's suburbia they, they were like a running meth up and down the eastern seaboard for the cartels, and the mom was getting the kids to break into cars and steal guns, filing off the serial numbers, selling them on the black market. They're now all in prison, not the kids, but the mom and the dad are in federal prison for a very long time. I knew I could smell weed on the, like, breeze, and they were growing it under their house. Suburbia, man. All sorts of deviants live in suburbia. I'm just telling you, next door to me, it was something. And when the police finally raided, I want you to know they surrounded, like, the neighborhood and were all over the place. My wife thought I had said something on radio that must have been controversial. No, they were getting the drug lords next door, dear. I said nothing alarming. Alarming. Okay, now this is the ad for Americans for Prosperity. Let me transition here before I dig myself a hole. Uh, So the Biden administration has decided they are going to still do the student loan bailout, even though the Supreme Court told them not to. They can only do $400 billion worth of the bailout under some of the president's power to forgive loans. Uh, It's being challenged in court. Again, Americans for Prosperity is raising the alarm with Congress, and they're getting their activists around the country to help raise the alarm on this. They want you to be one of their activists who can call Congress— or state legislature or show up at a local government as needed. They train you. They give you the tools and the tips to be a highly effective conservative activist to educate your neighbors on why big government is bad and how to fight to reignite the American dream. All you have to do is go to Americans for Prosperity org slash Eric. Americans slash ERICK. Be one of their they got over four million activists around the country. They want you to. AmericansforProsperity.org slash ERICK. Go sign up now. Hello, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. This news broke a little while ago. And I need to read you this letter. This is from the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic and the Select and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, signed by uh, Brad Winstrup and by Mike Turner, the chairman of the Permanent Committee. Uh, Brad Winstrup is what is. Um, what? What's? Da, 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 da. Yeah, he's he's a he's a doctor. Um. So you have uh, Brad Winstrup, who's a doctor, and you have uh, Mike Turner, who's the chairman of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. They have sent this letter to uh, William Burns, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Dear Director Burns. The Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, together the committees, have received new and concerning whistleblower testimony regarding the agency's investigation into the origins of COVID-19. A multi-decade, senior-level, current agency officer has come forward to provide information to the committees regarding the agency's analysis into the origins of COVID-19. According to the whistleblower, the agency assigned seven officers to a COVID discovery team. That team consisted of multidisciplinary and experienced officers with significant scientific expertise. According to the whistleblower, at the end of its review, six of the seven members of the team believed the intelligence and science were sufficient to make a low-confidence assessment that COVID-19 originated from a laboratory in Wuhan, China. The seventh member of the team, who also happened to be the most senior, was the lone officer to believe COVID-19 originated through zoonosis, that is, animal-to-human transfer. The whistleblower further contends that to come to the eventual public termination of uncertainty, the other six members were given a significant monetary incentive to change their position. These allegations, from a seemingly credible source, require the committees to conduct further oversight of how the CIA handled its internal investigation into the origins of COVID-19. To assist the committee with their investigations, we request the following documents and information no later than September 26th. And then they list a number of documents. The select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic is authorized to investigate the origins of the coronavirus pandemic, including but not limited to the federal government's funding of -of gain-of-function research and executive branch policies, deliberations, decisions, activities, and internal and external communications related to the coronavirus pandemic under House Resolution 5. Under House Rule 10, the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence has jurisdiction over all intelligence and intelligence-related activities of the department and agencies of the U.S. government. Further, House Rule 11, Clause 2M1B grants committees of the House of Representatives with the authority to require by subpoena or otherwise the attendance and testimony of such witnesses and the production of such books, records, correspondence, memoranda, papers, and documents as it considers necessary. Should the required information not be produced in an expeditious and satisfactory manner, you should expect the committee or committees to use its additional tools and authorities to satisfy our legislative and oversight requirements. There is a credible whistleblower who has served multi-decades in the Central Intelligence Agency. He serves at a senior level who claims that members of the committee investigating the origins of the COVID virus from Wuhan were given financial incentives to change their minds from what they had decided. That's a very big deal. It's a very big deal because the CIA has maintained it doesn't know. It doesn't know where COVID came from. The FBI... And the Department of Energy both believe it came from the lab. There are uh, three other agencies to say zoonosis, animal to, to human transfer, possibly from wet market. The CIA has maintained it doesn't know. This is really relevant because in the beginning it was presumed to have come from the lab. Not only was it presumed to have come from the lab, it was the Wuhan virus. The media referred to it as the Wuhan virus. CNN referred to it as the Wuhan virus. MSNBC did, the New York Times did, the Washington Post did, the virus from Wuhan or the Wuhan virus. And only after Donald Trump started making it about China did the media pivot to say, well, call it the Wuhan virus. That's racism. That's racism. You can't say Wuhan virus. And then when the Trump administration started saying it was probably the lab leak— Dr. Fauci and others no, it can't be that lab that we gave money to. It had to be like a wet market. How racist is it to believe that it was some Chinese dude eating bats in a wet market that, that spread COVID as opposed to an accidental release from the lab that actually was investigating COVID? I mean, that's the thing here. The Department of Energy's report notes that this particular lab was doing research on these types of coronaviruses. What's Occam's razor, the, most, the, the easiest, the most likely solution? That it came from the lab where the researcher got sick studying coronaviruses. We know the researcher got sick. One of the researchers died right as COVID started spreading. It probably was not intentional. They probably accidentally got COVID, took it into the world, and it started spreading. It probably wasn't intentional. But we have now a whistleblower at the CIA who says the consensus opinion was that it was the lab, just like the Department of Energy and the FBI said. And they were bribed to change their minds? What's notable is the Department of Energy, because the Department of Energy specializes in maintaining these labs. So, you know, one one of my friends is is Rick Perry. I've known uh, Rick Perry for a number of years. He's a just an all around good guy. He and his wife are two of the finest people to walk the earth. I, I adore them. I love them. Uh, I, and I say all this, Rick, because I know you're listening. Um, And so I want you to know I'm saying all these good things. So he became the secretary of energy, and as he will laughingly tell you, the energy department is very famously – when he said he wanted to cut three agencies or three departments, that was the one he forgot. Commerce education and a third one, and he forgot it, and it was energy, and he became the secretary of energy. Well, the energy department has an intelligence division. And the energy department doesn't specialize in like the production of of power for the power grid. It specializes in like nuclear energy and and maintaining our nuclear reserves and arsenal and uranium and and uh, specializing in labs like this lab in Wuhan. It has deep intelligence regarding these labs and deep knowledge about these labs and deep specialty in overseeing these labs. And so it's very notable that the Department of Energy, given its expertise, is the one that concluded that it is far more likely that COVID came from the lab than anywhere else. But there is a larger issue here. In addition to the shifting stories, it's... The general lack of curiosity, not just by the media, but by, by the left in general when it comes to this sort of stuff. They're willing to go along with it. You know, so when I was a kid growing up, it was the left in this country that said question authority. It was the left in this country that didn't trust the authorities, didn't trust the police, didn't trust the government, presumed the government was lying. Y'all, when I was a kid, there was this famous TV show called The X-Files. A fox molder who was convinced there were government conspiracies and black ops sites and there were aliens and and weird viruses and and supernatural events that the government was covering up, and, and he was of the left. Uh, Fox Mulder was there, a member of the FBI, and, and he did not trust the authority. And it was the ultimate show about the left's distrust of the authority. It was the conservative white men in suits who were doing the illegal things in the dark, and and you needed to question everything. You needed to question authority. How the times have changed. As the left has undertaken the institutional capture of governmental institutions, the deep state, academia, and cultural institutions, you're no longer allowed to question anything. Consider Harvey Weinstein for a minute. Harvey Weinstein, the famous Hollywood producer— Miramax ran Miramax for years got a whole lot of movies to win the Oscar Um, one of the most egregious is Shakespeare in Love Shakespeare in Love by the way it was a good movie it was with Gwyneth Baltrow it was a good movie it was a fine movie but it was up against The Thin Red Line, Saving Private Ryan, Life is Beautiful, and Elizabeth. Elizabeth, by the way, one of my favorite movies. Shakespeare in Love was not nearly as good as The Thin Red Line or even Saving Private Ryan. Arguably, it wasn't as good as Elizabeth either. But it won because Harvey Weinstein, he ruled the roost in Hollywood. Everyone sucked up to Harvey. Everyone loved Harvey. Harvey Weinstein was an abusive sexual deviant who's now in prison, by the way. But nobody questioned Harvey Weinstein because he was a progressive, he was a big liberal donor, and he had power. And you needed, you had to connect to him for power. Until he fell in the Me Too movement. And what was Harvey Weinstein's first reaction when the allegations came out? That he was going to step aside and devote himself to fighting guns in the NRA. And at a time there was a time that would have worked. It wasn't an amazing, like it was self-conscious spin that I'm gonna go fight the NRA now and, and so spare me. And, and there was a time that would have worked. Is captured cultural institutes a, a sky of the left? And they ousted him, but then they went right back to we can't question authority anymore. All these people, they control the institutions. They're part of the institutions. They're, they're the good guys. We can't con- we can't question Dr. Fauci. We can't question the FBI. Now it's the right questioning the institutions. It's the right who doesn't trust the man. It's the right diving into weird conspiracy theories, and a lot of them turning out to be true, because the left captured the cultural institutions and the governmental institutions, and now you can't question them. And the press, of course, being an institution of the left, doesn't question Hunter Biden. Doesn't question the COVID origins. Doesn't question Biden's mental health. Doesn't question any of these things. Which means that we on our side have to do the job that the left used to do and the press used to do because they're now the protectors and the gatekeepers of the liberal institutions. And this is another example of it. The CIA... In a seven-man panel, six of them decided it was a lab leak, and those six were pressured and given financial incentive to change their mind, according to a whistleblower. We don't know that he's telling the truth, but it's very plausible that the CIA hasn't been able to issue a determination on where COVID came from. It seems very likely that's because there was pressure brought to bear to protect the institutions that were allowing federal taxpayer dollars to flow to that institution in Wuhan to do gain a function research that Anthony Fauci denied was happening. And now we know is true. Maybe the truth will win out. Ultimately. We hope so. Now, That also causes all sorts of doubts within finance and the stock market. And and who can you believe? Is there a recession coming or not? It's why you may want to consider precious metals as part of your portfolio to ease the ebbs and flows of what's happening in the stock market. Swiss America can help you. They're the trusted leader in precious metals for 40 years. They help people protect their hard-earned assets. And right now, if you want a great step into precious metals, you can get the walking liberty half dollar at an amazing low price, $13.50 for a silver coin that gets you started in precious metals. It's great gifts for your kids or grandkids, by the way. Limit 250 coins per customer while supplies last. I've got a walking liberty half dollar. It really is a gorgeous coin, and it actually is silver. And the thing about gold and silver is they're always going to have real value attached to them because gold and silver have intrinsic value. It's not like printed currency. They've got real intrinsic value attached to them. And so precious metals, they're always going to have value and you can get started with Swiss America. All you have to do is call them or text them my name. When you call them tell them my name or text them Eric to 800-289-2646. Message and data rates may apply. You can also go to swissamerica.com/eric. You can get their report The War on Cash how governments corporations are trying to force you to use plastic instead of real cash so they can control you. You mention Eric when you call or text 800-289-2646, 800-289-2646, or visit SwissAmerica.com slash Eric today, SwissAmerica.com slash Eric, or 800-289-2646, message and data rates may apply. Hello, my friends. How are you? Uh, It's too late for you to call in. There's some interesting research. I've saved this to the last bit, Ken, (laughs) because it's about... Religion. <laughs> Y'all know, okay, so like the long time listeners to the program, no, occasionally I, I I talk about faith religion stuff, but there are people who listen to this program and it drives them insane. And when we research and stuff, the people it it, it triggers some people. But this I actually just find interesting. Uh it's from the Keller Center at the the Gospel Coalition, misconceptions about people leaving church in America. And uh, this is actually—it's written by um, Jim Davis and Michael Graham. They are pastors in Orlando, Florida. Forty-two percent of the city in the past 25 years has stopped attending church. And they commissioned a study with some really good researchers, Ryan Berg and Paul Jupe, to find out why people are leaving churches. They heard from 7,000 people. They con- got 600 data points, and it's really fascinating. So a lot of people believe that people leave church because they have a bad experience in church. You know the number one reason people leave church? They moved, and they just didn't get plugged into a new church. They have kids' sporting events. They got family changes. They got a new child. Uh, it's inconvenient to attend. That's that's it. I got to tell you, I'm, we're not regular churchgoers these days, and it has a lot to do with our life. We're traveling a lot on the weekend. We've been going to Sunday school more than church um, because of our schedule, and that has a lot to do with it. Young people are leaving church after attending secular universities. We hear that a lot. It turns out that's not true. In fact, it is more likely a blue-collar poor person who leaves church than a college-educated person. That's true. While the 18 to 30-year-old time frame is the period when people are most susceptible to dechurching, the cause isn't higher education. It actually hits the lower and lower middle classes and those with less education harder. One of the number one reasons, their work schedules. As we've gotten rid of blue laws in this country and more and more things are open on Sundays, more and more blue-collar workers and lower-income workers have to work on Sundays, and they've given up church because they got to make ends meet. That is one of the largest issues for why people leave church is income and working on Sundays. It's just fascinating data. So many of the misconceptions out there, like people leave church because they left the faith. Actually, the majority of people who have left churches are people who are still Orthodox Christian believers who believe in the Nicene Creed. Uh, Jesus is God. They believe in the Trinity, all that stuff. Um, But they've left church because they got busy with other things in life. It's not a priority for them. I'm I'm really intrigued by this. But there's also an upside that a lot of these people who left because they're busy, they're poor, they have to work too much, they're exhausted, they're willing to come back. If a church will just meet them halfway, they're willing to come back. So for all these people fretting about the loss of people from church and de-church, most of the people who have left churches are still believers and still consider themselves Christians. It's just life is in the way. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're not prioritizing it and – There's a way for them to come back. It's just fascinating data at the Gospel Coalition about people leaving the church, and it's so many misconceptions out there about it. It's kind of encouraging, frankly, that a lot of these people haven't left the faith. They've just left the physical building. All right, I won't be here with you tomorrow. I'm working, though, but I'll be back on Thursday. See you then.